have you been connected to our Sea Road family? I think we've been at Sea Road for about almost 10 years. Almost 10 years, which yeah. is a really cool amount of time. It is. It's super yeah. awesome. What's your first memory of being in the place that we call uh, like our facility right now? I think for me, one of the first memories was just the amount of people that were in the service compared to, you know, compared to the smaller churches we'd attended in the past. That was, uh, I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is big. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So this one's for all of you. How has Centennial Road helped you grow in your relationship with Jesus or inspire you in some way in your relationship with Jesus? Well, I mean, well, because we were younger when we joined, we got to meet a lot of kids our age just because this church has such a big children's ministry. And it was really awesome to just know that we weren't alone in this community. We had so many kids our age and we really got to know like what it was really like to follow Jesus when you're younger and, you know, just lay down a good basis for the rest of our lives. To me, I think um, Centennial Rose Church has been a great uh, church for me to learn to volunteer and, and, and know how important it is. And especially in the children's ministry, it has been a wonderful learning experience for me. And uh, obviously, small groups as well has been a very big part of me growing as a Christian. Cool. Madison, how about you? I think that having the older kids to look up to when I was younger was probably um, a big part of my life, just to see how well those teenagers were growing in their faith and to have like a role model, I think that was a big part of it. That's really cool. So Sea Road is now 100. What does that make you think or feel? Like, have you ever been around something that's this old before? Um, I think it's strange because I've been going to this church for a really long time and it's just hard to think that it existed so long before me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To think of the, to think of a hundred years of people walking through these doors and, and sitting in those chairs and listening to the sermons and the, the babies born in here, the, the elders who've gone to be with God over time, the, the number of Bible studies, the number of prayers that have been said in a hundred years, it's, it's, it's daunting really when you think about it, it's fascinating. Pretty cool. So hopefully we're gonna be around for a lot longer, like another hundred years, but we'll all be long gone by then. <laughs> but over the next hundred, if you were thinking about 100 years from now, what kind of community would you hope there would be into the future? It's a tough question, you know, I wouldn't change a thing from right now, you know, I'd want the same kind of passion for reaching out to the community, the same kind of passion for God and, um, you know, uh, wonderful worship and uh, a strong, you know, influence by the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, a people that are thriving, that are growing, a youth that is is active and, and happy and, and safe. Um, and not to mention that I'd love to see even more, you know, more kids, more people. You know, that's always kind of a great blessing. Uh, but most of all, I'd, I'd love to see God's continued grace on the church right for 100 years. That's cool. One more. One more. All right. I think that um, the kids' ministry is a really safe place for younger kids and also a place to be vulnerable for older kids. 
So I would like more people in the community to realize that this is a good place, that this is a place where you can be yourself. That's really cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your memories of us as a community and how we've been a part of your story as the Moran family. And here's to the last hundred and the next hundred that's yet to come. Amen. Well, welcome everyone, whether you are online or in person. We're so excited that you're here for part two of our four-part celebration of turning 100 years old. It happens only every 100 years that you turn 100. So it's awesome that you're here and celebrating this historical moment with us. Kids, if you have yet to move right now, this is your chance to head up to Big City Studio and do some awesome stuff there, kids age three to grade three. And those of you kids online, we haven't forgotten about you. Today, you wanna grab your favorite snack. Maybe it's gonna be peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe it's gonna be cookies, whatever it is. Go to centennialroad.com. There's kids ministry content that you can view and participate in and connect along with what your friends are learning in real time live. So that's gonna be awesome. How many of you are enjoying, enjoying that 100-year journal, that paper journal? Do you have your copy with you? Make sure that you have that. You can download several of those, save them if you want, onto your computer from centennialroad.com as well, and just commemorate this moment. I was 14. I was 14. I remember the day that my parents said, hey, we're leaving small-town rural Saskatchewan and moving to Calgary. I said no. My dad said, you don't have a vote. You're still going. Small-town, booming metropolis of a couple hundred people. Now we're into a big city of almost a million people at the time. I remember my very first day at that high school. I got off the bus. I walked into the school, and I was hoping and praying Dear Jesus, please give me somebody that is friendly and kind. I'm the new kid. Nobody knows me. I'm walking down the hallways, and I just feel like a target. Everybody looking at me, everybody judging me, everybody thinking, man, what is this kid doing? Why does he have that on? I don't know. I'm from rural small town Saskatchewan. I'm now in a big city. What do big city kids do? I don't know. I'm living into that space in real time, in reality. And the only thing that I was craving in that moment was a friend. I was craving a friend. And I tried to make some friends along the way. I remember this one time I sat by this kid in my English class in the cafeteria. His name was Nathan. Nobody was around him. I sat down. I said, hey, Nathan, is, is it okay if I sit here? He's like, yeah, sure. Three minutes later, a bunch of his friends came. And they're like, hey, who's the kid that's sitting here? And he's like, I don't know. So they got up and they moved away from where I was sitting and I had a nice security bubble right around me where nobody was going to touch me. Nobody was going to interact with me. It got to the point where I was so nervous I would never make a friend that I started making friends with the librarians. And they let me eat my lunch in the library in the cubicles where it says, you know, you can't eat. They let me eat my lunch there because it was at least a safe space where I could go and I wasn't walking around by myself for forever. Have you ever been in a space, in a place where you were dying for community? You were dying for connection? You were hoping that somebody would notice you? You're hoping that the place that you were in was, was significant enough that people were going to actually care about you. That's because you and I are designed for community. We're community-minded. We're community 
matters. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it take to be a successful community that's not only lasted 100 years, but will last so many more in the future. What ingredients do we need to hone in on in terms of our culture to ensure that we are vibrant and that we are long-standing as a community? For the answer to that, we're going to go to the Bible. Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible with you, if you want to go online and go to your favorite Bible device, wherever you want to get to it, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to dig into those really intentionally uh, today. Starts like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. If you've ever read through the book of Acts, you're going to be like, wow, this sounds super familiar. I've heard this before. We're going to zone in on four key ingredients to a vibrant community that this chunk of Scripture points out to. And the first is this, a group of people that have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A group of people that have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is an apostle? Well, early in the first century of Christianity, an apostle was somebody who was actually almost apprenticed by Jesus himself. There were 12 guys that he lived life with for a whole long period of time, about three years. And 11 of those guys became apostles. They, they shifted from disciples to apostles. And then a 12th guy was added to the roster over time, and his name was Paul. Someone who met Jesus in a super miraculous way on his place from one spot to another spot, had this interaction, this dream, this vision, where God spoke to him very clearly about changing the entire direction of his life, doing something different with it, and giving it over to living his life out for Jesus. Jesus. And so these apostles became the entrepreneurs or the extenders of the gospel. They were the people that were messengers in their areas that God had placed them, starting out in Jerusalem and then spreading out from that place to the then known world in a variety of different fashions. Some Christian traditions believe that apostles were an office that ended with this group of people. So once this group of people lived and died and and breathed their last breath, that apostles were done. But apostles are more than a function. It's not just a role of office. It's actually actually something that the church uh, embraces and moves into, that entrepreneurial extension kind of thing. So whenever you got a group of people that are wanting other people to get involved with what they're learning and what they're growing, that's kind of an apostleship function of of a community, if I can call it that. The other thing that they did is not only devoted themselves to the apostles and following them, but to the apostles' teaching. Well, what was the apostles' teaching? In this point in time, when this community existed, they did not have the full formation of the Bible as we know it today. 
They had the first two-thirds. They had the Old Testament. That was their, their scriptures. That's what they knew. They had all of that stuff, but they did not have what was we now refer to as the New Testament because they were living that out in real time. They were experiencing it right in the moment. And somewhere along the way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're like, you know what? We probably should start recording some of this stuff because it seems pretty important to make note of. So the apostles' teaching, the teaching that they were referring to in this particular text is the truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus, the gospel message, the truth that Jesus died a gruesome death and was raised to life three days later so that you and I and every other human being that's ever been in existence or will exist in the future would have the opportunity to have unbroken, unhindered relationship with the creator of the universe. That was their teaching. They devoted themselves to that. And it was an oral tradition type teaching until the written word was starting to be circulated. And that's where the guy Paul comes into play in in abundance. God used him in mighty ways to, to write a lot of what is called the New Testament today. So when they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to everything that they knew to be true about Jesus. And they were hearing it from first-hand accounts, individuals that had walked life with them for a long time. That is what it means to be devoted to teaching. Immersed in it, shaped by it, moved by it. In today's day and age, it kind of functions on what I'll call a two-piston engine. See, we've got the benefit of having the entirety of the Bible in its full completion. And so we can immerse ourselves in the great big story that is the Bible itself from beginning to end. And we can know all there is to know about God to the best of our ability in our human mindset and understand. And then once we think we know everything, we come back to it. And it's like parenting a teenager. You're like, oh man, I don't know anything because they keep reinforcing that I don't know stuff. And so you get back to the word and you learn and you discover new things that you've never seen before. Even though you've read that story a hundred times or ten times or five times, you're learning more things because there's always more to know about who God is. And we did to devote ourselves to the Word, but the other cool thing is we have the opportunity to be filled with the very presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you got one piston on the engine, which is the, the Word of God, and then you have the other piston on the engine, which is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And we have a group of people that have devoted themselves to both of those things. That's what it means to be in real time here in 2021 devoted to the apostles' teaching. People of the word and people of the presence. Functioning in tandem with that. Knowing that the presence and the word will never contradict one another. Will never contradict one another. How do you know that God is speaking to you? It's because he'll say something to you in your spirit and it'll line up with what he says in the word. That's why we need to know both of those things. What his presence feels like, what his presence uh, uh, shapes us to be, and what the word says, so that we know we're operating exactly the way God has created us to operate. If we want to be a people that will last this test of time beyond COVID pandemic health-related challenges. We have to be people that are devoted to the word and the presence of God, just like this first group of people in the first century church were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's ingredient number one. Ingredient number two 
they were committed to fellowship. What does that word mean? It means bonded together for a specific purpose or mission. Bonded together for a specific purpose or mission. This happens all over the place in a variety of different ways in our society and our culture. For a sports team that is hoping to win the championship in their sport of choice, that team has a bonding-type experience over the long haul as they are embracing their mission to win that ultimate prize. They, they try to rally together, to bond together, to be connected together. They want to be able to play for one another. They want to be able to care for one another along the way so that their mission is focused and their mission is accomplished at the end of the day. It can be even different than that. You can have a group of people that's experiencing a traumatic experience in the moment, and, and that trauma bonds that group of people together momentarily so that they can weather the storm that they find themselves in. Perhaps another famous expression of this is found in literature. J.R. Tolkien, right? He, he wrote this great series called, what? The Lord of the Rings. Great long series, and in one of the books that he wrote, he talks about specifically the fellowship of a ring, the fellowship of the ring. And the mission for this group of people was to take this ring of power and destroy it. And it was people from all different walks of life in the known world, in that creative created environment that Tolkien made up in his mind and wrote about. And it all bonded together for that purpose, for that mission to get it done. This first group of people bonded together for a mission and a purpose. And that mission and that purpose was to love God and love other people in radical ways. The second key ingredient to a community that stands the test of time is a willingness to embrace fellowship. A willingness to embrace that with every fiber of our being. Are we that kind of community? Are you and I those kind of individuals that want to embrace that type of, of, of community pursuit and community-mindedness together? The third ingredient, they shared in meals. They shared in meals. What did that look like? I'm going to use two phrases here. Invitation culture and radical hospitality. Invitation culture and radical hospitality. In 1921, there was a cluster of young adults that met for the very first time in what we now call the expression of Centennial Road Church. Can you imagine what would be the trajectory of our community if they, as a group of people, were unwilling to invite others to participate with them? See, two years later, from the very first time they met together, they needed a physical space to house their community because it started to grow. Because they were intentionally inviting people to journey with them, to connect with them, to hear the truth about Jesus, to embrace who he is, but also be a part of a movement of some kind. They were intentionally inviting people to connect. There was a deeply rooted invitation culture in their core, their reality. If you and I don't have that invitation element to our anatomies, to our presence, we are in trouble. 
We're in trouble. It's going to be like every single person that walks into our sphere of influence, whether that's a physical location or interacts with us in some way, shape, or form online or in person in the community in some way, are they finding people that are inviting, that are willing to engage in relationship with them? Or is it going to be kind of like my experience of high school in Calgary for the very first time? Wandering the halls, hoping and praying that somebody's going to notice me. It took me three months to make a friend. Three months before a guy named Ivan, Ivan Gunyavi, found me, saw me, spent time with me, and became my friend. If we are going to continue to grow as a community, if we are going to continue to be the people God has called us to be, then we have to be really, really good at an invitation culture. So I'm going to ask you this. Do you have margin in your life for more? Do you have margin in your life for more? Have you created space that if somebody gets plopped into your lap or into your pathway that God has initiated, will you recognize them? Will you see them? Will you invest in them? Will you spend time with them? Or will you ignore them and walk away? See, an invitation culture is completely up to each and every individual to create. The truth is, all of us long to be connected, whether that's a connection that looks like I need to know 100,000 people or I need to know four people. We all want to be known and connected and loved by somebody. But in order to do that, we also have to be willing to do that. In order to receive it, we have to be willing to give that. Are we the kind of people that invite those around us to connect in some way? Here's a test to know if you're somebody who's dabbling with invitation culture. Do you know the names of your neighbors? If the answer is no, then you probably aren't dabbling with invitation culture. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Are you willing, when you're outside in the permitted physical exercise type of way right now, and you're on a walk, and you walk past somebody on opposite sides of the street, are you still willing to yell, hello? If you're not, then you're not participating in invitation culture. If you're afraid that even a mere hello is going to get you infected with a virus, then you're not participating in an invitation culture. When that cashier at the grocery store is asking you how your day's going, and you have the opportunity to flip it around and say, I'm doing well, but how are you doing? If you, don't, if you don't take advantage of those moments and those opportunities, then my friends, the truth is we are not invitational in our culture and invitational in our nature. But the good news is you can always turn it around. You can always start somewhere. Let's talk about radical hospitality. What does that look like? Anytime a group of people are willing to have people over into their environments or into their lives, it takes radical hospitality to do so takes radical hospitality to do so. I remember being in college as a young 17, 18-year-old, 
and there was this concert that was happening in Calgary. My college was in Edmonton. That's about a three-hour drive away. And I phoned home, and I said, hey, Mom, is it okay if I come over with a bunch of friends from school for the weekend? And she said, sure, how many? I was like, I don't know, probably about five or six. I showed up on her doorstep with 25 of my friends, and we packed that house in a very COVID-friendly way, and it was awesome. You know what my parents did? They didn't turn a single one away. They didn't turn a single one away. Now, they might have been, had it forced on them to be creative and embrace the whole reality, but isn't that the truth? Sometimes loving people is just not convenient. It's just not convenient. It's not easy. And in those moments, we have an opportunity to respond. Even during a global pandemic, we have an opportunity to respond. Well, how can we do that, Jason? How can we radically host people where we're not permitted to have them into our homes? Well, we can make space in other ways. I know I'm sick and tired of digitally connecting with people. I'm over it. I'd rather do it in person. But when I'm not permitted to do so, I'm going to use a tool that maybe is least appealing to me to still connect. You can get creative and go like, you know what? There's a lot of people walking their dogs right past my house. What could I do to be radically hospitable to those dogs and ensure that they don't do their business on my lawn? Why not put out a bowl of water with a nice little sign that says K9H2O? Right? Be radically hospitable. We can look at the, the context and the setting that we're in and so this is and say it's impossible. Or we can look around that and say what is possible. If we are radically hospitable in our presence, in our willingness to make space in our lives, in our calendars, in our minds, and yes, even in our wallets for people, that's going to stand the test of time. That is being community-minded. That's embracing an invitational culture. And all along the way, in our history over the last hundred years, we had pockets of people intentionally do that. And if we want to be around for another hundred plus or however long God wants us to be in this space, we have got to revisit that in a real meaningful and deep way. So that we can be the people that God needs us to be right now here in this moment. Because we were made for this. That's ingredient number three, sharing in meals, being radically hospitable, being intentionally invitational in our culture. And here's the, the last thing about invitational culture. It is never up to us to worry about the response of an invitation. It's never, about, it's never up to us to worry about the response to an invitation. Our role is just to extend that invitation. When I sat down in the cafeteria that one day and extended to Nathan, hey, I want to get to know you, he rebuffed it. He gave me the stiff arm. I recovered from that. It didn't kill me. I recovered from that, and I learned over time to continue to invite and extend the invitation. It's okay to get a no. It's okay when somebody's like, you know, I don't want to participate, but thank you for inviting me. That's still an extension of love. When you offer to serve somebody and they don't receive it, that's an extension of love. And our job is to love and live like Jesus. How many times did Jesus try to love people and they didn't recognize his love? More than once. 
Ingredient number three, that, that whole sharing in meals. Will you and I allow God to move in us in that way, to be intentionally invitational and radically hospitable whenever we have the opportunity? Number four, prayer. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. It's a recognition that you and I are, in, are not in control. You and I are not in control. No matter how much I have good intentions to want to do something or want to hope that somebody does something along the way, I can't do that or make them do that. But God can. God, through his loving kindness and invitational, relational uh, style of, of connection with us, lovingly draws people into the best version of life that they can experience on the planet. And when we pray, we get to interact with that kind of heart on a consistent basis. See, when we pray, we begin to change, and we begin to see the world around us and the people around us the way God sees them. And as we do that, we understand that we're all broken, we're all messed up, we're all in need of a Savior. All of us, every single one. None of us is above or beyond God's love. And when we understand and embrace that mindset, we can more easily say no to the things that distract us from what God has in mind for us. The shiny things, the nice things, the things that seem good in the moment, but they actually distract us from the great that God wants to do. And the only way that we can decipher the difference between the two is through prayer and connecting in relationship with God, who will speak to us, and then we can go to the Word and say, is that congruent? Does that align with what you've already said? Because they will never, ever combat against each other. They will never be divisive. They will be united in how they draw us forward. Can you imagine being in that room the very first time when there was a handful of kids? Imagine how they prayed. God, what are you going to do here? We have this hunger and this thirst to establish a community, and we have no idea how you're going to do it. I bet you they started to pray. Really big, audacious, intentional prayers. Perhaps you've heard stories of former pastors and leaders here of Centennial Road Church that did different prayer moments, whether that was walking the physical property with other individuals going, God, the property we're on right now, asking God, are, are you calling us? Are you drawing us to do something radical, like build a bigger building, like a building that we've never seen before in a new space? Are you asking us to do that? In Second Chronicles 7.14, God says, if my people would humble themselves and pray. If my people would humble themselves and pray, that's when he can do amazing, incredible things in us, through us, and around us. That's where he could bring healing in brokenness. That's where he can bring hope against all the odds. That's when he can bring perspective when we desperately need it. 
Because prayer changes everything. Now, if you and I would devote ourselves to those four ingredients and say, you know what, from this moment forward, I'm going to create that concoction and that recipe in my life, I'm telling you, whatever comes your way, you'll be able to stand the test of time because Jesus is with you in that moment. How are we going to land this thing? What does it mean for us in real time today, Jason? What is it that you believe we should be about? I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say that we need to radically devote ourselves to community right now. We've been in a year plus of isolation, and it's enough. A year plus of isolation, and it's enough. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Are you going to say we should reject all the health restrictions? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are other expressions of community that you and I can intentionally pursue right now that don't involve violating any sort of public health orders in their current form. I'm saying that you and I, if we wanted to, can intentionally pursue community. One of the ways that we can do that is through a group. That's just one. Now, all of our groups are online right now. I get it. I don't like online groups. The cool thing about online groups is people don't know where you are. So, like, you can mute, you can walk away, you can turn off your camera and be like, oh, this is so boring, I can't believe I'm connecting with these people. And they won't see you saying all that stuff or hearing unless you don't click those buttons, and, and then you're going to be exposed. It might not be your preferred form of community, but it's an opportunity right in front of you. We have over 30 groups right now online available to connect. Over 30 even in a global pandemic. That's amazing to have those opportunities right at our literal fingertips, whether you're on your device or a computer, they are right there before you. Now, if you're like, well, Jason, I don't like the computer. I don't like video. What could I do? There's this other invention called a phone. It's amazing. You can pick it up punch numbers into it, and talk to somebody on the other line. Again, you might be saying, Jason, I don't like the phone. I don't either. I'd rather be face-to-face with people or send them a text message, ironically. But I could pick up the phone and I can make a call. You know what I'm learning? I can talk to people while I'm doing other things, like going for a walk. I can talk to other people while I'm going for a walk. I'm getting my steps in while I'm on the phone. That's a win-win for everybody. I'm saying that there are ways for us to do this. But the truth is that community is a discipline. We have to be intentional in our pursuit of it, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we don't feel like it, we have to be intentional to pursue it. If we want to be a part of something that's really revolutionary, that stands the test of time. So let's be intentional in our pursuit of community. Let's also be intentional in our pursuit of invitation. I got to tell you, our region right now is just starving for hope. Starving for it. And it doesn't matter what gets repealed, what gets augmented, or anything like that. That's not going to make a real true difference. The only true difference that is going to be made in the, in the life of a single person is the presence of Jesus. That's it. And you and I represent him. Whether we like it or not, 
If we have a relationship with him, we represent him wherever he puts us, digitally and in person. We represent a king. And from that, we have an opportunity to be intentionally invitational with our presence, through our words, and our actions. And so I'm going to challenge you and myself in this next season as we enter into another challenge of sorts. (laughs) Am I going to allow my words and my presence to be invitational in nature, be hope-filled in nature so that Somebody could have the opportunity to get to know the true source of hope in the world, and that's Jesus. So maybe that starts with a canine H2O. H2O. Maybe it's something different. I don't know. But as you pray, and as you go, Lord, I need you to give me what I don't have in this moment, and that's an idea, that's gumption or follow-through, I need you, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh man, God is already at work and it's my job to just partner with what he's doing. It's my job to just partner with what he's doing. I hear what he's saying, I align it with what he's already said in the word, and I move from that space. If we would intentionally pursue community and invitation, if we would discipline ourselves, I wonder how much we would grow and change in not just the next hundred, but in the next several weeks. And if that became a staple of who we were, a foundational stone from which we continue to build and allow God to grow us in whatever expression he wants us to be, I think that is the kind of movement that is recorded in this scripture that we just read from the book of Acts. That's what God's going to do some things, immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. So why don't you and I be that? Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity, even when things are challenging around us, to pursue you with great intentionality. And God, I admit there are so many times where I have missed an opportunity to invite somebody, to care for somebody, to notice somebody. And in those moments, I just say sorry. God, I have not done a great job representing you. But the cool thing is, is you use me as a broken vessel in order to continue to show people that you care. And so I'm thankful that in the moments where I'm not enough, which are so many, you are enough. And for each one of us, Lord, that is the truth. And God, I pray that you would allow us to be filled with more of you so that your presence would overflow from our lives and cascade down and into the lives of others that we interact with, whether that's for 30 seconds or 30 years that we would be a people so closely representative of you, that people who are far from you, people who don't know about you, people who have yet to hear about you, would be curious because of what they see and experience as they interact with us. God, we want to be a people that is known for the way that we invite and the way that we care. Would you allow us the creativity to be radically hospitable, 
And would you give us the resilience, the strength, the determination to discipline ourselves, to keep doing the things that we know we need to do, even when we don't, when we don't feel like it. And it's not like another event or another activity. It's simply about expressing and demonstrating love. That's what it is. So allow us to be a people of love because you are a God of love. And it's our job to love people the way you do, to the best of our ability. Thank you, Jesus, for these reminders, these encouragements. Would you make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor? Would you grant us your peace and your joy? We pray this in your name.